a podcast dedicated to celebrating, bringing awareness to, and changing the way we think about rural education in the state of Colorado. Well, hello, Al. It's great to, great to see you. We're really excited to talk about the state of, of rural education in Colorado, especially in light of our the COVID-19 pandemic that's been going on. I know that all of us have spent quite a bit of time working with our rural schools, both uh, leadership, teachers, and students, and lots of exciting things going on out there uh, in the rural sector with with schools. Yeah, thanks, Kirk and Daniil. It's kind of nice to come together and have an opportunity to highlight some of the really incredible things that are happening in our rural schools. Because as you know, I spent the bulk of my conversations around the dismal state of affairs with regard to the state budget. We know we're going to need to cut somewhere from between about $3.3 billion from the budget this year. Um, educators, I think districts, we don't have a number yet, but they're looking at 15 to 20% cuts. And we just got off a call with a, a bunch of rural superintendents where it's very clear this is, this is not going to be the worst year. This is the first year. And we're looking at bigger and bigger cuts. And so sometimes it's easy to forget um, all of the incredible work happening. So I guess I would, I would look to you who spend more time in the field than I do. Like what, tell, let's talk about in the field now, it's all via Zoom, right? But um, talk about some of the amazing things you're seeing and hearing that are happening in our communities. Inspire us. Well, you know, I think one of the things that I keep hearing is, is the amazing work that educators are doing to not let kids slip through the cracks. So I think many of them are continuing to reach out in incredible ways with uh, the teacher appreciation of last week. Um, we had people who were putting on hundreds of miles on their cars, just being able to, to wave at, at students and teachers outside their, their homes to just let them know that their work is appreciated. Um, I also know the same is happening when it comes to our small rural around graduation. Um, hearing some really innovative ways to stay within compliance of what our health colleagues are telling them to do, but still making sure that we're acknowledging students for the great achievements in their communities. You know, some of our communities have graduating classes that are under what are required uh, as far as social gathering, but they're still making sure that they're getting social distancing happening to be able to do it. We're hearing things like drive-through graduation, towns that are lining their their main streets with banners of their graduating kids so a lot of acknowledgement of the work that kids have been doing so that they don't feel that their their work their what they put into education was not was going unrecognized so i really have seen some incredible things happening in our communities as far as acknowledging and valuing the work that students have done across the state so it's really exciting to hear both from students and parents about the efforts that are going forward to really make their, their students feel attached to school as we're, we're continuing to, to deal with this distance component of, of learning as they come to the end of their K-12 educational experience. Yeah, and I think, you know, just thinking about the field, I mean, we're talking about roughly 80% of our districts in the state that are designated as rural or small rural. And I think the connection is still there. And just what I've observed in the um, interactions that we've had with all of our districts, superintendents, principals, teachers, community, um, the connections haven't gone away. And in fact, I think they've gotten stronger. So, you know, as Michelle was talking about her alliance meeting this morning, 
over 125 people on that call. I think people are just really interested in staying connected and working together, maybe now more so than ever before. I think we've been on this upward trajectory of collaboration, networking, trying to be aligned, um, figuring out what we all need to do to um, further our efforts and be together on a lot of things. And I think this in particular has, um, it's just been an opportunity for some deeper connections. And um, I, I just, I know that the, a lot of the superintendent groups and BOCES groups, they've been meeting more frequently. They've been really trying to think about how they can serve their communities in this time of emergency. And I think going forward, they're being really thoughtful about trying to provide for the needs of their families, their students, and figuring out how they might do this and best meet all of those varying needs um, across their districts as we move into a situation that has many more questions than answers at this point. I think sort of that's what you're alluding to is one of the most inspiring things for me that's coming out of uh, the pandemic is the enhanced, um, either the organization around uh, local partnerships or enhancing pre-existing local partnerships. We're seeing folks work together with their local county health departments um, and other partners to ensure that the students and families are getting fed uh, you know, local heroes, our bus drivers, our, our um, food service workers, I mean, absolutely true heroes coming to work every day and making sure that students get fed and students get curriculums if they don't have access to online. And so really a hope that as we, all of our budgets are going to be uh, drastically reduced, that we are able to continue to build on those partnerships and ensure that we are um, leveraging our shared assets rather than siloing uh, our work to best provide for what we know is going to be increased needs from our students and families or not only academic supports but emotional and behavioral health supports as well. Um, yeah, so that seems, that seems sort of exciting. I think one of the biggest pieces, and the three of us have talked about this, is how, and we talk about it all the time on this podcast, is how different rural is. It's very different. One of the big sort of uh, blow-ups, for lack of a better word, was around graduation ceremonies and how important they are to us students in all of our districts and sort of the amazing ways that rural districts were working with their local health departments to figure out ways to hold in-person graduation ceremonies with the honoring the social distancing and other, um, you know, health-related requirements and just how, how different it looks like in a graduation in Boulder looks like as compared to a graduation in Lamar, as compared to a graduation in Campo, right? And really focusing our efforts and highlighting for the state how important it is as we talk about coming back to school, um, sort of to use Kirk's term, the essential nature of our schools and providing flexibility so that our rural districts where it makes sense. And Danielle, I think you have some data around that so we have a number of counties that have no outbreaks. Can you talk about that yeah. a little bit? Yeah, so in terms of looking at our data, um, so we have roughly 9,300 teachers um, that are serving in rural districts, which makes up about 17% of teachers in our state. And as we're looking at the um, number of COVID cases in our counties, we have about 40% of the counties in our state that have less than 10 cases. So right now we have four counties that have zero cases, 14 that have one to five, and eight counties that have six to 12 cases. 
And so I, I think with the graduation um, piece, a lot of our districts that um, are in some of these counties felt like um, they could use some flexibility just because it's um, COVID may not be as prominent in their communities. And it's something that's, you know, their graduations are really, really important. I think when we're thinking about rural, we have to remember that our schools are the hubs of our communities. They're the go-to place for everyone in the community. Everyone is so connected from students to parents, to teachers, to our board members, administrators, um, all of our stakeholders, they're so engaged. And, and a lot of times there's so much overlap in all of those roles that, you know, it makes our schools just really critically important. Um, and I think it is different than their urban and suburban counterparts because we are so um, interconnected in a lot of these school environments. So that, I mean, that's some of the data. And I think that's why we have been um, thinking about what flexibility and what um, local decisions can be made, of course, in partnership with other local agencies um, to try to make it to where, you know, our rural districts can um, can start to reconvene and do some of these activities that they so desperately need to do in order to keep their communities thriving. Yeah, and, and I think one of the things that that it lends us to to start thinking about in the conversation we had is that as we're looking to the future, um, that difference between what we're seeing in our metro suburban versus rural is something that I think we're, we're hearing a lot of people starting to talk about is really making sure that we're, we have the mindset of what does it look like for reconvening schools. And you know, we all want schools to be safe for kids and be a, at a place, but we also know that the essentialness of schools, not only in our rural communities, but in other places are critical for us getting getting over this hump. And so how we do that in a safe way is I think something that we gotta work with our partners on doing. But I also think that we probably have to make sure is that we have the mindset or the approach of saying schools really are critical. So even though we highlighted many of the great things that are going on in schools, we know that remote learning isn't working for all kids. And so there is an essentialness to what we do as educators and how do we make sure that we're balancing in that uh, of what the health needs are, but then also what the families and students need to, are coming back to school. And so I think that one of the things that we're seeing right now is that that mindset is really been fairly stagnant on towards not returning to in-person because of those fears. And one of the things that I feel like is important is that we make sure that part of the conversation is that there is a time and a place for in-person and how do we make sure that that's part of the dialogue that we go on. Now that's not true for all areas, but I think there is pockets where we need to make sure that that conversation is happening to really help move this along and for the essentialness of what schools provide for, for students, the environments, for their families, and for the economy to get back in, into the place. We know that for rural communities, as Neil, you said, schools are the hub of our, our small communities. And so we've got to make sure that that schools are getting up and operating in a safe way for kids that we're not putting them in danger. But for many of our counties, there is a possibility of doing that. Um, and we have we can follow some of the, the guidelines that are set forth, but we've got to make sure that that's part of the conversations that are happening both at the local level, the state level and the national level of what does that look for, like for rural schools. 
Well, it's interesting, too, and this keeps coming up. Certainly our rural superintendents, the vast majority of them echo, we got to get kids back into this building for academic reasons, for social reasons. Like we have to get, we have to, whether or not we can do sports, that's open questions, Um, but we have to get our kids back into this building. But then also realizing that there are going to be teachers um, for a myriad of reasons and students for a myriad of reasons who don't return to the classroom. So they're on these limited budgets with limited administrative um, staff time. They are planning for, uh, I mean, my district just sent me five different scenarios that they're planning for. Now we're in a big district, five different scenarios. I think most districts are planning at least three different scenarios for what it looks like when it comes back. So even if they are doing a full on quote unquote in-person learning situation, they still want to provide some sort of a remote option for students who don't return. And then does that require more teachers? Um, you know, how, how are we transporting our kids? No matter what, how are we going to transport our kids safely on buses? And are we requ- do we need more bus routes? Or, you know, so everything that we look at that may be in the best interest of our kids and our staff is going to um, really max out our resources and takes us down, us being our our district admin down a rabbit hole of different scenarios that they need to plan for and they still don't know what their budgets are going to look like for next year so talk about heroes right yeah and i think in terms of resources and just thinking about the challenges that have existed in the past couple of months with moving to a continuous learning remote learning type of environment um, according to our community needs inventory that was conducted in partnership with cei Um, CDE did that in partnership with them. Um, We still have statewide almost 53,000 students that don't have access to a device um, and also over 65,000 students that don't have access to internet. Um, Of course, that would be rural and urban kids, you know, all combined together. But I think in thinking about how our districts are planning for the reopening of the school year and coming up with different scenarios, Those are, um, there still continue to be challenges in those aspects. Um, And I think it's just worth it to say that the number one concern and for all of our districts was their students' emotional support. So even above the lack of access and devices, you know, our districts are really concerned about how they're supporting those families um, because of the situation and what resources that's going to take. Yeah, it's just phenomenal to me. Every time I get on a call with these folks, I just don't know how they're how they're planning with no no real ideas of what their budget's going to look like and all these different scenarios. And then I let it be clear clearly stated. I think both the governor's office and the Department of Education are doing phenomenal jobs, and CDPHE, the state health department, for that matter, as well. In you know, to quote an overused term, in really unprecedented times, but. Um, that still, that, that being said, we have a lot of communication snafus that we need to figure out and just a lot of, a lot of opportunity um, as we move forward to figure out ways to make, create less brain damage for folks on the ground, I think, as they try to make decisions in the best interests of their communities. Absolutely, totally agree. And I think, you know, we really, I really applaud our administrators and teachers as they look at, at going into this unprecedented time, because I think as we, we talk about it, one of the things 
for our rurals is that there isn't a large bench of people to help support this work. It's usually for our smaller districts, it's one or two people who have to then leverage their communities to be able to come up with these plans and make sure that they're, they're meeting the needs. And the help from other organizations is critically a part that small districts and rural are really needing to use to be able to come up with what are the options and what is the what is best for kids as we move forward to this. I mean, as, as we look at it as unrolling, we started out with an initial phase that was really just what do we do now and how do we provide services for kids and essential services like food and those kind of things. We're now moving into the summer and a lot of these these same folks are looking at how do they support learning loss over the summer while they're trying to develop what does the fall look like. And so I think that what we're seeing is, is people doing Herculean work all simultaneously to be thinking about these different scenarios. Um, and as Michelle, you pointed out, some of our larger colleagues are able to put together six to eight plans. I, I know for the rural sector, it, it, part of that is being able to have the, the lifting power to even to be able to come up with three to four solid plans is really a, a difficult task in light of then also budget dealing with budget concerns and balancing what the community needs and do that. So I definitely applaud them all for taking this on during this time because they really do truly care about not only the social emotional side of their students, but their learning and their physical safety. Those are all things that have to be balanced simultaneously in what we're doing to get schools um, back on track for the learning that needs to go on. Not to mention, or not to forget to mention, local rural economies and the impact of the dramatic declines in both the agriculture, tourism, and oil and gas industries and what that's doing to our small businesses and our large businesses alike. And it's just, you know, your head, my head at least, starts to explode as we think about that. And then look forward to, as we continue with our Redefining Rural podcast, highlighting both the challenges as we do, the challenges and the incredible ways. As I said to somebody else, you know, rural, they get it done. They're going to do whatever it takes to get it done for their kids, and you guys know that better than me. So uh, it'll be our job and our privilege and honor, I think, to honor their great work, um, highlight the challenges, and get the resources and supports that they need. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I think um, to, at this point, no one has given up. I think everybody is still doing it. I mean, yep. it's been a tall order for the last few months trying to get um, all of this done and wrap our heads around what this is going to look like. And um, what I have seen coming out from a lot of our districts is um, we're just moving forward. Everybody is doing what it takes uh, with summer school, with ideas for next school year, with graduation. Um, I, I think in all of the conversations that I have had in the past couple weeks with superintendents across the field, across regions, I think everyone is just pushing forward and they're not, um, although this, there are huge challenges, they're not really letting that get in the way of getting the work done. I mean, they're really stepping up and doing what needs to be done in order to um, serve their communities in the way that they need to. So I have been um, so impressed. And I think as we continue, just the attitudes of the positivity, um, you know, we're going to get through this, we just keep going. Um, it's definitely admirable and it definitely gives me a lot of energy to try to um, be able to support them in all of the ways that we can. So definitely grateful for all of them. And um, yeah, they have a difficult job, but I think, you know, in rural, this is our nature. And we were talking about agriculture the other day and um, 
how, you know, you kind of just ebb and flow and this is the way we roll. And I think it's the same for our rural schools. There are a lot of challenges, but we just keep going in, in spite of all those. So pretty amazing work. Yeah, yeah, for the only non-rural girl. For the only non-rural girl on the call, it is, I mean, every day I continue to be amazed by by what they're doing. And uh, like I said, look forward to continuing to highlight successes and challenges and I have a use for partnerships with you all as we go forward. So stay tuned. This has been the Redefining Rural podcast. Thank you so much for listening. On behalf of Michelle Murphy and the Colorado Rural Alliance, Danielle LaPlante, Rural Liaison for the Colorado Department of Education, this is Kirk Banghart from the Colorado Rural Education Collaborative. We thank you for listening and please download new episodes of Redefining Rural on your favorite podcast listening device. Thank you. Have a great day.